0: Now just for a time of time of praying and I will pray the prayer that I normally pray at this time also of illumination, but let's pray together father in heaven. Uh, Yes, we're about to come now to your word and in thinking that realizing that uh, in your word you command us invite us tell us give us the great blessing to to pray uh, to make requests of you. It's amazing to us to me, that we can talk to you. We come, of course, always when we pray in the name of Jesus, not on our own merit, not in our own name, but in the name of Jesus. We know that when we come believing in him, you receive us. And so we do that right now. And I intercede for us, even as many are praying right now. Father, we, we lift many in our congregation to you on this, on this day those of us who are suffering in a variety of ways that need your help and strength um, to know that we have purpose to know that we belong to you to know that you care for us and so I pray that you would be with those in our congregation who are suffering and suffering perhaps at points of discouragement or depressions suffering economically suffering in terms of relationships that are disjointed and bent and need to be reconciled and so we pray God that you would do that work among us, some even suffering uh, physically. We pray for Marjorie Miller as she uh, fights cancer, and we pray for our dear Mecki Santee as well as she as she fights this cancer and that you would bring healing uh, to each of them. We, we pray for uh, Dwayne Gertz's family on the death of his mom, Ray Buckingham's family on the death of his mom. So, Father, we know grief. We're acquainted with it. We know Jesus, you are acquainted with it. and So we thank you that as we pray, you bring comfort and strength. Oh, Father, we, we are concerned about the world in which we live, the nation in which we live. Violence has become such a great part of our life in addition to all of the other sins that seem to beset us, of greed and selfishness and pride, warring against one another. And so we pray that you would help us as a, as a people to kind and loving, that even in your common grace that you would work to bring a measure of peace among us in our world, Father, we pray that you would grant grace, most especially that you would open doors to the gospel, that people could freely and effectively share the truth about about Jesus, open countries that are closed to the gospel. And if not, that you would enable us to find ways still in that we could speak of Christ everywhere. Father, we're grateful at this time of year for us as a university community that um, students are back for the university. And we pray for their school year, but we pray for their studies. We pray for their choices. We pray, God, that the gospel would go forth amongst them in a way that would draw many of these students to you, God, through Jesus. And this would be a year that many would look back and realize that they have been shaped, were shaped uh, by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now, God, as we come to your word, I pray that you would help us, that you would open our eyes to see, that you would give us minds to understand, but even more than that, that you would enable us to believe you would come overcome every resistance that we have to this word, and it would be life to us. And this, I pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. Turn, please, to Second Corinthians in chapter two. Two Corinthians chapter two. I'm just going to read verses twelve through seventeen. Second Corinthians chapter two, please. Hear the word of God, verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now just very quickly, just this passage, it sort of falls out like this. In verses 12 and 13, Paul gives kind of an, a logistical summary for us. Uh, we've been reading about his, his relationship with the church in Corinth, his, his writing to them and his plans to see them and all of that. And so this is kind of a, a bit of a catch-up summary there. But then in, in, in verses in verse 14 and 15, he gives us a couple of images metaphors, illustrations, gives us a couple of images for us um, to, to grab a hold of, I think, pictures to keep in our minds that will help us. It that will help us, help us uh, in the dailiness of life. It will help us um, when we think life is purposeless. Uh, it will help us when we wonder if there's anything at all happening, going on in the Cause of the Gospel of our Lord Jesus when we're thinking about those things this picture um, this picture will will help us. Uh, it describes um, what God has done and what God is doing in Jesus doing in Paul's ministry, uh, certainly doing and has done in the church, the real church, and is doing is done in, in our lives. And, and 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 what we'll see, I think, which should thrill our souls, is that it's really, really, really you got that? God's doing. Right? It's really God's doing. And that, again, should thrill us. That should give us great hope. It brings joy to Paul. He rejoices in all of this. But uh it should thrill us. So if we can get this picture in our minds and let you play with it for the rest of your life in there, uh, I believe it will be a great benefit to you. Because we see the last point. He speaks of the fact that we're not sufficient for this, that only God is, and only God can make us sufficient for this. So So that's where we're headed, all right? Now, this little first part is just kind of a logistical summary. Paul talks about the fact, he says, when I came to Tros to preach the gospel of Christ, even though doors opened for me in the Lord, my spirit wasn't addressed because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. You remember, Paul's been really troubled by this church in in Corinth so much so, you remember, he made a painful visit to them and things didn't go well, so he wrote a tearful letter to them and, and he sent Titus with it. And as soon as he sent Titus Off with it. It was, it was, it was overwhelming to him. He was burdened by it. How are they going to receive it? What's going to happen? Are they going to respond well to it? And so he just said then, uh, he, 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 after he sent Titus, he he went on from Ephesus where he was to Troas. Now we don't know if Paul had decided ahead of time or had, had, had asked Titus ahead of time to meet him in Troas after a certain point in time, why he went there. To meet Titus, we, we suspect he had some um, expectation of meeting Titus there. But he didn't. Titus didn't show up. So he, he, he didn't have any reports at all about what happened to this letter that he had written. That he was in tears about. And so it concerned him. And, and this is just, I'm not going to do anything with this, but it's just remarkable. Paul said that a, a door was opened for him in Troas. So that's his language to say that there was a door open for him to do what it is that he did, which was preach the gospel. Now, Paul, on many occasions, asked the church to pray for him that a door would be open. You, you get the metaphor, you get the image there. Uh, we use that language, oh, a door was open for me, blah, 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 that this sort of stuff. What Paul means by that is he, he wants to have an opportunity, a productive opportunity, to share the gospel. And that's what he lived for, but he so loved the people in Corinth and he was so therefore distracted by his concern, his love for the people in Corinth that he couldn't even stay there to take advantage of that open door. I, I, I don't know what to do with that, but just let it sit with you for the rest of your life. But, but just that, just we realize then uh, how significant all of this was to Paul it brings at least to me it brings to us i think a real sense of reality to who Paul is and to his relationship with the church in Corinth this is a real man and these are real people at a real point in time so much so that he's so united to them so concerned about them how they're going to respond to his letter that he couldn't even do what He loved to do what he was called to do, what he was made to do, which was preach the gospel. And so he left Taras and went to Macedonia. Now we'll find in chapter 7 that he meets up with Titus in Macedonia and gets a good report and all of that. But now he just sort of digresses from his travel plans. And he begins to lay out... Something that's true for him in his ministry. Something that's true for all in ministry. Something that's true of the church. Something that's true for believers. And, and, and it's a, he gives it to us by way of this picture. He says, verse 14, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, what Paul is laying out is something that would have been very familiar to those who are reading this this letter. Not so familiar to us, this idea of a triumphal procession. Now, if, if I used as an illustration something like, well, you know, being a Christian is like baseball. You'd wonder what I was getting at. I would too. But you know what baseball is. So you'd go, okay, I, I can sort of... And if you don't know what baseball is, <laughs> what are you doing here? But... Uh, but, but, but you, you know what? You know, what, or, or if, if the Christian life is like a department store, I, those images ring something in your head, for good or for ill. And and but this one, a, a triumphal procession. What does that? What does that really mean? Well, there was a triumphal procession in ancient Rome. Was took place when a general had won a decisive battle. A decisive battle. Uh, where he extended, if you will, the empire in some great way. And, and the battle was, was majestic, uh, by the number of the enemy killed. You had to kill at least 5,000 one campaign. And you conquered completely. And a number of other criteria. And, and, and if that was the case, then, it was declared a triumph. And you, I don't know, maybe there was a plaque and you 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 got your little name on a plaque. I don't know, probably not. But it was a triumph. And, And so you were honored with a triumphal procession. And the procession was was majestic Everybody came I mean you can only imagine the city Everybody came And everybody was there You can smell it You can The noise of it The trumpets were blasting of course And everybody who was anybody was there And some of anybody who was anybody Was in the procession itself Some of the officials And the, the leaders would be in the procession Of course the general would be all regaled in, in splendor And he was in the procession Leading even the procession And, and his soldiers and all of that But but what was really Really, really, really spectacular in the procession were the captives. Because, you see, he'd bring the spoils, all that he had gotten. Everybody excited about that. But then the captives, the, whether they were the princes or the officials or the leaders of the, the area in which they had had, had, had conquered, the, the armies and Peoples and all of these come shackled and chained and and, and the image there is here is this great commander and his greatness is 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 shown by all that he had captured In a sense all that was now there is all that was now his and all that he had captured and these very ones uh, In a sense were his property and the property of, uh, of the Empire And so so they were being led either into slavery generally or to their execution He had complete, they had complete authority over these, over these captives. And so, so that's the image. And, and since this was not simply a military, political kind of procession, but, but religious as well, not only giving honor to the general, but to the gods, there were pagan priests who burned incense. And so you could smell it. I mean, if, if, if you were there early and the, the procession started, you know, at 23rd Street, And you were on, you know, sixth, then you could, it's coming, you could, you could smell it and you would go, this is great. This is life to us. Now, if you were one of the captured, you're going, this is not so great. Never wanted to smell that, right? It's your death, but for for, for everybody else it's life. And, And so then it comes upon you. And then even as it passes, the aroma of the victory is still in the air. And so, so there you go. So that's this, that's the scene. That's the sense of it. Now the question is, Paul, what do you mean by that? That thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Well, we can say, all right, Christ is the captor. This isn't an allegory; it's just an image, so we don't, everything doesn't have to have a little part to play. But 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 here we have it. You know, Christ is the general, the the one who's Who's, who's captured? He's the victor, and, and 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 the father would look to the son and say, "That's a triumph." You get a procession, you know, that you get a parade for this. In fact, we we read a bit about this using this kind of language in Colossians and chapter two and verse fifteen, describing um, what happened by way of the cross. He, that is uh, Jesus, disarmed. The, the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so, so, so God defeated all the rulers and authorities, all those uh, uh, spiritual powers and demons and the Satan and, oh, and all that they influence through the cross of Jesus. And so now here's the triumphal procession. And I really, as I read this, I really wanted for Paul to be part of the the conquering heroes in this image. But it appears not, and here's why. Because, you see, Paul's whole point to the church in Corinth is that through his suffering, God would be glorified and the gospel would go out through his suffering that, that was the big problem they looked at Paul and said we don't like the gospel you preach because we don't like the life, the life you live the life you live is a life where you're being persecuted for the sake of Christ you're suffering we don't want that we'd rather have a gospel that says that there's none of that and so to see you makes us uncomfortable so we'd rather listen to others as they give us their version of the gospel we don't want this we don't want this one that has anything to do with, with suffering at all and, and so but Paul was trying to make the case no 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 my suffering is actually my credential as an apostle. And so you need to understand it's your credential too. In being a follower of Christ it comes with it. And so what we find here is that, that Paul is amongst the captured. Paul is amongst the conquered. In fact, they should have known that in the first letter he wrote to them, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 8, he's having a, well, a bit of fun with them. He's, he's being a little sarcastic because they think the Christian life is, is all peaches and cream. And he's trying to say to them, uh, not quite, at least for now. Verse 8, he says, Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. In other words, without us, you've become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share in the rule with you. In other words, I wish we were as great as you all are. Verse 9. For so He says, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Like men sentenced to death. Because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Spectacles in the midst of this triumphal procession, you see. Uh, look at us. We're, we're the captives Jesus is the only conqueror we're the we're, we're the ones who've been captured by him he says we are fools for Christ's sake but you're wise in Christ we're weak but you're strong you we're uh, you're held in honor we in disrepute to the present hour we hunger and thirst we're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless and we labor working with our own hands when we're viled we bless when persecuted we endure when slandered we entreat We have become and are still like the scum of the world. The refuse of all things. And then Paul says, all right, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so that's the thing. He's one of the the captives. And he would know that. He was arrested by Jesus on the road to Damascus. I mean, he was on his way to do what he had been doing, which is persecuting followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus. And so he was there to throw them into prison or to, to authorize their execution, however that was would be and was necessary. And Jesus literally arrested him and took him and, and captured him and captured his heart and made him his own. He conquered Paul's heart. Paul had been an enemy and now he subdued him. Completely. In fact, Paul would know then that his life would be in the hands of of Jesus, and that he was being led as an apostle, even to suffer for Christ's sake, even to die for Christ's sake. And you know, one of the favorite expressions of Paul of his life is that he was a bond servant, a slave of Jesus. So that's his picture of himself. Uh, and he knew that he would suffer. For instance, in Acts chapter 9, when, when Jesus arrested him. Uh, and Paul is blinded. Uh, Jesus calls a man named Ananias to go and talk to Paul. Verse 15 of Acts 9. Said, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer. For the sake of my name. And so Paul knew. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 5. He says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Then in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians verse 7. Familiar passage. Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. but life in you. Paul had written a similar thing to the church in Rome. He he writes in this passage that we know so well in Romans chapter 8 about about God being for us, that, that nothing can be against us. But then verse 36, he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he goes on, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. In other words, we are the captives. He is the captain, the conqueror, the general. And through him, even as his bond slaves, suffering for his sake, even to our death, we'll conquer. That's the picture. That he gives to us and puts really in our minds. And we realize that to be true of us. I trust that we know that we've been conquered by Jesus. We were his, we were his enemies. And you may think, oh, I wasn't his enemy. I didn't really say that much bad about Jesus or about God or anything like that. And, 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 and I get it. You were probably, before you came to faith, it would have been a wonderfully nice person. But still, an enemy of God. Because here's the one who created you. Here's the one who gave you breath. And you very may well have either ignored him or redefined him. That's being his enemy. In fact, Paul puts it almost, what I would say, quietly or matter-of-factly in Romans chapter 1. It begins, this verse 18, in in, in a way that kind of captures at least my attention. And it, it makes it seem very dramatic. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they're without excuse. Now, to me, I'm expecting the next sentence to be a huge blast. And and it is, but it doesn't seem it. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. And I think about that and say, that's it, isn't it? That's it, isn't it? We didn't honor him as God or give him thanks. You see, I would say, put it like this, we didn't worship him. Because worship, as we've said over and over again, is is giving thanks to God for what he's done for us, praising him for who he is, and humbly submitting to him in joyful obedience. They didn't honor him as God. That's honoring him as God, isn't it? And giving thanks to him to say, oh, you're God, I'm not. You made us thanks. Look at all you've given to us. Thank you. And you are magnificent. I'll praise you this this morning as we began the Psalm 145 to speak of the greatness of God. To be overwhelmed by him. To be captivated by him. If you see him, you're captivated by him, right? I mean, how could you not be? And so so that's the sense of it. We didn't do that. We, we just ignored him. is not that big a deal. We didn't honor him as God. Nor give him. Thanks, but rather we turned away from him and became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They, slash we, became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We began to to worship and be marveling at the things of lesser, things that God had made as opposed to God himself. Like worshiping the light bulb rather than the one who made the sun. Right? And so here we are, and so enemies, and so how, how does how does that heart get changed only uh, by God changing only by God changing that that heart? That's it, you see. That is it, you see. God capturing us, God bringing us to joyful. Submission. You see, when Paul saw himself in the midst of all this, he saw Jesus as the conqueror, him the conquered one, and, and, and he realized in the midst of all of this, it was, it was, it was all about Jesus, and Paul never thought himself to be a big shot, right? Or as my wonderful father-in-law would put it from Italy, a big shotta. That's what I thought about. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Paul never saw himself to be that A big shot. He shot He never saw himself to be the center of it He was just a guy He was just a man Who had been an enemy of Christ And been subdued by him uh, Paul would know he shouldn't go to Jesus And said where can I sit On your right hand or your left He would know that wouldn't be the right question because he would look and he would realize that he had been slave to sin. Now he's freed from that. But a slave to righteousness, a slave to Christ. And he would look and say, I'm still his bondservant. And so I still look to him uh, for all that I am and all that I, I need. And so that that's the image here. Paul uh, saying, I've been captured. Jesus has triumphed. And I rejoice in his triumph. And then this expression. He goes on and speaks about this fragrance, he says, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And so Paul said, "This is what God is doing through us. Don't you see? Even through our suffering, He's spreading the 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 knowledge of Christ everywhere." You remember in the triumphal procession? There was the incense and. Then it would spread the fragrance of the victory everywhere. That's what we're doing through our lives as believers in Jesus. As we live our lives, as we speak of Christ, that's what's happening. He said, this is going everywhere. Jesus is the conqueror. We've conquered by him. And when people see us and hear us, what they're to see and hear is that Jesus is great. When in the triumphal procession, the crowds saw those who had been conquered conquered, what they saw was that the general was great because he conquered this mass of people. He conquered the prince. He conquered the officials of the of the other land. And, and he, he must be great in order to be able to do that. And so when people see us, you see, what they're to see in us and what they're to hear from us is that Jesus is great. Remember what Jesus said? That they're to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we pray so much, God. Please make us be a people that lives, that speaks in such a way that when people see us, they say, oh, God must be great. See, that's, that's the thrill of life, when people see that, when people hear that, when people turn to him. That's why when we give, we pray that God enable us to give in such a way that people will be helped in the name of Jesus and give thanks to him. Not to us, but to give thanks to him. That's the goal of it, you see. And that's what Paul says God is actually doing. He's, he's through us, through our lives, through our lips. There's the fragrance of Christ that's going, that's really going everywhere. Know it or not. You see, I think Paul was pretty discouraged when, when, when he sent Titus off with this letter. So discouraged that he couldn't even share the gospel in Troas. Uh, and, and so he had to run off to Macedonia in hopes that he would find Titus there. He was really discouraged. and And, and I think then what comes to his mind was, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's life like? This life really like, all right, I am suffering, but I'm suffering because I'm a captive of Christ and I'm, I'm suffering so that the fragrance of him will be known everywhere. And that's what the world needs. That's what we need to be doing, isn't it? To, to be making Christ known. Now, to make him known, of course, means we have to know him. It isn't just that we're listing facts about Jesus. We have to, and that's good. And there are facts to know about Jesus. We don't have those facts, right? We don't know him. But but to really have a knowledge of him that we can spread, a real knowledge of him. The old theologian says, say, say it like this, that to know God means that he's had dealings with you. To know him means that he's had dealings with you. Real dealings with you. Paul knew Jesus had had dealings with him. He knew that. But he's had dealings with us. And we know that he has had dealings with us when he's convicted us of our sin, right? He's dealt with us. He's convinced us of our sin. He's convinced us of our need for him. He's shown us the truth of the cross. He's shown us the righteousness that's in him. He's shown us all that in such a way that he's had real dealings with us we've learned to depend upon him to 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 trust him to hope in him he's our joy all that result of his dealings with us so we know him in such a way that we desire then to make him known and we can make him known because we speak of him and our lives are shaped by him and you see that's the that's this fragrance but notice about this fragrance too it's it's an aroma it's an aroma. And these two words taken together, fragrance and aroma, if you're an Old Testament reader, you know that that hearkens you back to expressions in the Old Testament of sacrifice. Whether it's grain offerings or drink offerings or burnt offerings. Oftentimes they were put together in a sense, in sequence, in such a way that the end result was that it became a sweet, it's old language, a sweet-smelling savour, Or a fragrant aroma to God. And Jesus, first and foremost, is that fragrance. That sacrifice. Ephesians 2. I'm sorry, Ephesians 5 and verse 2. The apostle writes this. He says, And walk in love as Christ loved loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God so paul saw himself not only as a conquered rebel but also as a living sacrifice and that living sacrifice would be a fragrant aroma but notice this this surprised me when i read it again verse 15 verse 14 i'm sorry 15 for we are the aroma of Christ to God, first and foremost. In other words, we're to be a sweet smelling savor to God. Our lives are to be when, 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 when God smells, sniffs, He is to smell in us Jesus. When, friend who's blind, who smells really well. And he can discern people by their smell, which is really intimidating. Uh, you know, what do I really smell like to this guy? But, but he, he can... Oh, hi, Bill. You know? And uh, when God smells us, he should say, oh, Jesus... And we're the aroma of Christ to God. And, and the reasons for that, of course, is his son gave himself. as a sacrifice. We give ourselves in sacrifice. We're to take up our cross, which means we're to die to sin, put it to death, to sacrifice. So that we can live for God, so that we can love others. In fact, Paul Puts it dramatically of his own life in Colossians. In chapter 1, verse 24, he says, Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. Now, when Paul says that he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. He isn't saying that there is any atoning, sacrifice, affliction, suffering of Jesus that was missing. Jesus suffered and it was finished. He paid for all the sins of sinners for those who would believe and all of that. But Paul's saying, now, for us as believers in Jesus, as we live out this life, there is suffering for Christ's sake, and maybe and the suffering that comes of speaking of Jesus and the persecution that may come our way. It may come in, the, in, the, in, in Paul's life as he goes from one place to another and sacrifices his life for the sake of the gospel. That's the sense in which he means it. But that's when, when the Father smells that, he smells Jesus. And when he smells our suffering and he smells sacrifice for the sake of Christ, he smells Jesus. That's a comfortable smell for him, if you will. It's a, 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 a smell that is familiar to him, that, that he loves and so Paul says, my suffering isn't, isn't a bad thing in that sense. It's the smell of Christ. But notice, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. He says, listen, here's, here's the situation when this smell of Christ to God and this aroma of the gospel, when we live it, when we speak it, most especially when this knowledge of Christ goes out. It 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 comes to two different noses. I mean, Paul divides humanity not on the basis of economics, not on the basis of social status, not on the basis of ethnicity, not on the basis of race. He says there's humanity is divided into two categories, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. That's That's it. Those who are perishing are made up of all kinds of people. Those who are being saved are made up of all kinds of people. So, so the, the key distinction is those who are perishing versus those who are being saved. And he says, now, when we as believers in Jesus, when we as the church, when Paul is an apostle, goes out and lives and speaks of Jesus, that speaking of Jesus is an aroma. It's the aroma of Christ to God, and it's the aroma of Christ to everybody. Now, some will inhale, smell, and smell of life. And others, death. Paul knows because of his own experience and because of how the Bible is structured and who God is, he knows that we have absolutely no control over people's smellers. How they're going to smell this. Simply don't. It requires the work of God. And some will and some will. And so he says that's simply, that's simply true. But this is simply going to happen. Now Paul's intention. And our intention when we share the gospel. Is that people receive life from it. But isn't it fascinating in, in your own life for a while and now you've come to faith, others still haven't and perhaps some of your children and so forth. You know that it's the same gospel. You keep saying it and some receive it and some, some don't. And we, we say to people that God has made us in his image and that image is a good image and that image is best and all of that and that image will bring joy and life. But yet we sinned. Our first parents and all of us even since because of that, we've turned away and from being the image of God. We've fallen short of the image that He's created us to be. And we haven't imaged him. We've turned away from Him. We've not honored Him as God and given Him thanks, and that's wreaked havoc in our lives. We can see it throughout history. We can see it in our own lives. Everyone agrees that we should love, but we simply don't, especially God and one another. We don't love as we ought. That's the image of God, you see, because of the judgment has come. But Jesus has come, and Jesus has come to take the penalty of the sin and to love as we haven't loved and, and, and to give us his Right living, so that we can be clothed in it, and so we can be forgiven our sins. all those who trust depend on him, captured by him are in this procession, and then a day will come when um, all will be made well, Christ will return, and God will dwell amongst his people on the new heavens, the new earth. And you say that to some people, and they say, "Oh i felt guilty my whole life. <laughs> I wondered why. I see the misery in the world and I wondered why. And I was hoping, is there any solution to this? And I couldn't think of one. I couldn't see one. And and now there it is in Jesus. And, and the aroma of Christ is life to them. And then we share the very same thing. To someone else, and they say, Who are you to tell me about sin? Who are you to tell me about God? Who are you to tell me about my life? And we say, We're, we're not anybody really to tell you, we're just this captured slave of jesus you know uh, uh so we're not anybody we're not the biggest shot here he's the biggest shot there. and we're telling you about him because he's the one who comes and conquers and 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 they say but you know this bible it's mythical you know that jesus is just a mythical character in the midst of that haven't you read the da vinci code and 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 you know uh we, we know that we, we know that there is no heaven and now we know there's no god because how can there be a god uh when there's all of this suffering who how could there be a god who's good and who's powerful and wise, if, if there's all this suffering in the world, so we, we, we know, we know there's no God. And even if there were a God, come on, let's face it, uh, all we need to be is sincere, trying. Surely, He wouldn't condemn anyone who was sincere, who was trying. So, no, don't tell me about this Jesus. And we think, how'd that happen? Seems to make such great sense to me. And yet it doesn't here. Paul says, but this is what God is doing. What God is doing. Calvin once said that the, the, proper, the proper office of the proclamation of the gospel is to bring life. And then he didn't know what to say about when it doesn't. And so he called it the accidental office of the gospel this is because it's we we desire for it to bring life it's a life giving message jesus life giving savior that's its proper office that's our hope that's our desire but it also along with that brings condemnation paul said that's what's happening all the time that's who we are. That's what you do. The logical question, it seems to me at that point, is who can do this? Who can be sufficient to be the aroma of Christ? And Paul says in chapter 3, verse 5, not that we are sufficient to ourselves. To claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And so that's it, you see. That's the hope. He really is the big shot. He really is the the general... Our sufficiency comes from him. And so Paul says we need no other sufficiency so we, we don't have to be like so many other peddlers of God's word. We don't have to water it down. We don't have to change it. We don't have to make it palatable where we think it should be palatable, palatable where it isn't for people. We, we can be honest, loving, but honest about the gospel. We don't have to, 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 to water it down and be a uh, like a wine merchant who adds a little water to the wine to water it down a bit and then sells it as genuine. Uh, that's not who we are. We don't have to be that because, you see, we must be the aroma of Christ, spreading the true knowledge of Christ everywhere. And so we can't, we don't need to water it down. We, the the key word here in this expression is that we speak in Christ. So we're people of, we are people of sincerity. That is, we really believe this. This isn't just a game. This isn't, we're just not building a church. We don't want to have nice friends, so we want to be Christians like us. We sincerely believe this. This is our hope. This is our joy. This is our peace. This is everything to us. And and we know that it's sufficient for anyone who believes, and therefore we desire others to believe for the glory of Christ. And so we are sincere about this. I wonder, and please, this well, I wonder, when people come to worship with us, do they get the fact we really believe this? Are we exuding anything as we sit in our pews and as we sing and as we say uh, uh, creeds and as we listen and as we talk and, and all of that? Did, 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 would, a, would a visitor coming in, would their would their thought be, they really believe this? It's a great story told. George Whitfield and Ben Franklin. They were friends, odd friends, because Franklin wasn't a believer, and Whitfield was a great evangelist. But 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 Franklin seemed to be captivated by Whitfield and just his his, his skills uh, as a preacher. And someone once he said to, to a friend he was going to go hear Whitfield preach, and the person says, Why are you going? You don't believe this stuff. And and Franklin is purported to have said, Yes, but he does. And that's what captivated him. He really believes this. And I wonder about me. Do people really know that I, I mean, I really believe this, you know? Uh, And, and will people know when they come into worship? Could I, could I give you that as, as something to wear when you come to worship? To just have in your head, if, if somebody doesn't know me, if somebody is new here, will they really get the fact that we really believe this to be sincere and to be commissioned by God that is to be called by him saved by him sent out by him with his words that's that's who we're who we're to be now this is this is it isn't it Um, in one sense, I want to say this is the aroma of Christ. I, I don't mean the grape juice and the bread so much. But if you're like me, anytime I s- smell grape juice, I think of Jesus, you know, because I'm a Presbyterian. Maybe if it was somebody else, it's wine. But for me, it's grape juice. And so when I smell grape juice, I, 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 I think of Jesus. I mean, that's the aroma. That's an aroma, if you will. Not quite what Paul had in mind, I don't think. But, but just listen to this. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given to you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, this too, he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Is that your life? Is that your life? If that's life to you, then you too exude the aroma of Christ. You spread the knowledge of Him everywhere. it isn't if it's death to you I urge you to contemplate the body and the blood of Jesus that you may believe let's pray Father I pray for me for us that we would rejoice as being part of this triumphal procession knowing that Christ has triumphed the victory has been won we are his captives and we rejoice in that we are his bond servants To die to ourselves and all that He captured us from, that we may be submitted to Him in joyful, humble, joyful obedience. He is our hope. Use us, I pray, as the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in our families and our friendships in our neighborhoods, in our church, in our community, in the world. Use us, I pray, in that regard. And draw many to yourself through us. Now please, I pray, that you'll take this bread and this juice and you'll set it apart in such a way that through it we will know that we're in the very presence of Jesus. That he's here. And he is that great conqueror. He's the conquering hero and we belong to him. May that thrill our souls in Jesus.